So, good morning, listeners, and welcome to Sacred Space, which is broadcast uh, on West Limit 102 local radio here in Newcastle West, and is produced from our Cummersee studio here in Arda. My name is Jan Keeley. Thank you again for joining me. Of course, help me to produce the programme as usual. Uh, Shane Ambrose, good morning to you, Shane. How are you? Good morning, John. And how are we doing this morning? We're good. We're good now this morning because this is a beautiful feast, one of my favourite feasts, uh, the Feast of Pentecost, the coming of the Holy Spirit. So again, we'd like to welcome uh, our listeners who are joining us this morning, wherever you are, whether you're listening to us on the internet, uh, which is uh, because we have our uh, our blog available on the internet at www.sacredspace102.blogspot.com. All of our programs, of course, are available there. Or maybe there's some people listening to us in other parts of the world. Uh, they might be listening to us on iTunes, which is available from uh, by searching Come and See Inspirations. But wherever you are, thank you indeed for joining us. I want a special welcome this morning to um, somebody who I met in Newcastle West during the week after morning mass. Brendan. Brendan came up and introduced himself and said how much he enjoys the program as he listens to us each, each Sunday evening. We're glad people out there are getting something from the programme. And as we uh, as we say before, if you want to pass a message on, a text on to us, you can. And that's on 087-6088-667. That's 087-6088-667. But again, we like to welcome, especially those people who are housebound, those people who can't get out and may be struggling this morning, those people who are suffering with some sickness, and those people who are worried about people who are sick this morning. We pray that the Holy Spirit will join you this morning in giving you some consolation to carry whatever burden you might have to carry. As I said, if you want to contact us at all to pass any message on to us, you can do so by emailing us as well. And that's on sacredspace102 at gmail.com. Part two of the programme this morning um, is a special segment where we've decided to, um, to... replay a recording that we made back in actually the 27th of May I think it was 2015 Ascension Sunday that particular year uh, where Bishop Donald Murray joined us and gave us a beautiful reflection on informed conscience. The reason why we're doing that this week is because of course we do have a very important duty to perform, civic duty to perform uh, this coming Friday where we're asked to make a choice for a change to a referendum and we felt it important that people maybe uh, listen to this reflection this morning uh, by Bishop Donald. And let's just see what the Holy Spirit is asking us all um, to think about it and to act accordingly. But in the meantime, before we go any further with this particular programme, Shane's going to share with us again Saints for the Week. Thanks, Shane. Thanks, John. So this week we have a couple of interesting things just to mark uh, or just to note on this week's liturgical calendar. So first off, of course, as John said today, is Pentecost Sunday, which marks the end of Eastertide. So it's been six, seven weeks uh, since Easter. 50 days, yep. So it's uh, so today is uh, today is the seven weeks, yeah. It's, today is the last day of, uh, of Easter. Now, in the old calendar, before the, the reforms of the Second Vatican Council, Pentecost used to have its own octave. And there was a story that um, the first Pentecost that after the reforms of the calendar, Pope Paul VI went into the sacristy to celebrate Mass on the Monday after Pentecost Sunday. And he queried with the sacristan why the vestments were green and not red. Because, of course, on tomorrow, Monday, we switch into ordinary time 
and of course the color for ordinary time is green because, uh, as opposed you know green which is just ordinary time which we have now until pretty much from now until end of October start of November ish um, so that's what, so that's it so today they says Pentecostal so tomorrow Monday is the first uh, is the first day of ordinary time seventh week of ordinary time for those praying the Psalter we'll be praying week three but there is a small little hiccup tomorrow if you like John in the liturgical calendar because tomorrow we celebrate a new feast day and it is the feast of Mary the mother of God which is a feast which Pope Francis has put onto the, the, the universal liturgical calendar and it is a feast day celebrating the title of Mary as Mother of the Church. Mary, Mother of the Church. Uh, it's a title which was given to her, basically, of course, since she gave birth to Christ, the head of the church, and she became the mother of us all when Jesus said to you know, John and herself on the cross, receive your mother. Blessed Pope Paul VI solemnly confirmed the title in an address to the Fathers of the Second Vatican Council on the 21st of November 1964, and decreed that the whole Christian people should, by the use of this beautiful title, give still greater honour to the Mother of God. And so this year, Pope Francis has inserted it into the liturgical calendar for the use of the Latin Rite Church. So that's what we celebrate uh, tomorrow, Monday the 21st. Now, it will be the Monday after Pentecost from now on, so it will be a movable feast on the Church's calendar. Then on Tuesday, we have the feast day of St. Risa of Cassica. She was married for 18 years. Her husband was a bit of a bully, ill-tempered, abusive, was eventually murdered. And then later, she entered an Augustinian convent and spent 40 years in prayers and charity, working for peace in the region. Now, on Wednesday, the 23rd, we have the feast day of a saint called St. Gobbin, um, who, I, according to what I was looking at, was a 6th or 7th century abbot of Old Leyland in County Limerick. And that's all we know about them. So that's just an interesting one on Wednesday. Then on Thursday, we have the Feast of the Memorial of Our Lady Help of Christians. Uh, it's a particular title or devotion given to Mary, uh, instituted by Pius IX. And um, he, 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 who was arrested by Napoleon, and he was imprisoned uh, in, in Italy. And then in 1814, he was released and uh, he returned to Rome and he attributed the, 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 his release to the intercession of Mary. Now, it's interesting. The other thing that people should note is that it's the day of prayer for the church in China. And the reason that is the case is because the Chinese church is very much divided at the moment, the Catholic church, because you have some Christians or some Catholics who are loyal to Rome and you have some Christians who are part of what's called the Patriotic Association in China, which the communist government is seeking to use to kind of control the church in China. And there's a big ongoing discussion and debate and a lot of diplomacy with the Vatican in terms of how this whole issue is going to be resolved. It's causing a lot of heart, heart, hardship for people in China. And so today is, uh, the, sorry, Thursday is also the day of prayer for the church in China, which as far as I'm aware, John, was instituted by Benedict XVI because Our Lady Help of Christians is venerated under with such devotion at the Marian Shrine of Shazhan in Shanghai. Then on Friday, we have the feast day of three saints, St. Saint Bede the Venerable, St. Saint Gregory, and St. Magdalena de Pazzi. Now, St. Bede, Saint Bede the Venerable, or the Venerable Bede, as he's sometimes called, was a monk of Jarrow in the UK and is a famous church historian. And he died around 735 AD, and he's a patron of scholars. St. Gregory was a pope. He was Gregory VII, died in 1085, was originally from Tuscany, 
was a clonic monk. So he was part of the Benedictine family and he worked for reform and he died in exile. So that's who we have on Friday. And then finally on Saturday, we have the feast day of St. Philip Neri. Now, Philip Neri is famous because he is the founder, excuse me, of the congregations of the oratory, of the oratory otherwise known as the Oratorians. And they are quite famous. One of their most famous members, of course, was Blessed uh, John Henry Newman. And St. Philip founded the Oratorians, uh, and he died in 1595. And their charism is to foster good preaching and to promote holiness of priestly life. Now, John, touching on last week's program, which was a discussion with Father Martin Brown mm -hmm. about ecumenism. And one of the things we mentioned last week was also the whole issue of interreligious dialogue. And interreligious dialogue is the, the dialogue that occurs between, say, for example, Christianity and Islam or Christianity and Judaism. So Ireland is also very much so a more growing, uh, diverse, culturally diverse country. And a lot of people uh, in Ireland today are actually Muslim. And if you have a Muslim neighbor, you should take the opportunity to wish them Ramadan Karim. Now, Ramadan Karim means a blessed and holy Ramadan, because since uh, Wednesday night, uh, Islam Muslims around the world have been observing the holy season of Ramadan. Now, Ramadan is one of the five pillars of Islam. It's up there with the belief of the declaration of faith in, in Allah and his prophet of uh, praying five times a day fasting during Ramadan, giving alms, and doing the, the, the pilgrimage to Mecca, the Hajj, and the, uh, which every Muslim is required to do at least once in their lifetime. Ramadan occurs every year, but because Islam follows a lunar calendar, it moves. And it is serious fasting. It's not like the fasting, say, for example, the Christians would do during Lent, although it's quite similar. It's 30 days of fasting. But when Muslims observe fasting between sunrise and sunset, they don't eat, they don't drink, nothing passes their lips. Uh, and it's you know it's 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 quite a serious endeavour, and you should have a little bit of consideration for our Muslim neighbours in Ireland because it's between sunrise and sunset, which of course in an Irish context can be longer than twelve hours because of the long so the long stretch in the evenings that we have. So if you have a Muslim neighbour or you work with someone that's Muslim, wish them Ramadan Karim. Uh, so that's 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 the other thing that's happening on the calendar for the next couple of weeks. Ramadan then will finish on or around the 15th or the 16th of June, and it will be celebrated in the Eid, Eid al-Iftar, which is the Eid of the Feast. Um, so that's that's the celebration in a month's time for our Muslim neighbours. Okay, John? Thanks, thanks for letting us know that, Shane. Um, I mean, just as you mentioned that, I, I couldn't help but th uh, re remind it myself and maybe remind listeners again. We did mention from time to time that if people have any questions at all that they want us to, uh, to, to answer in terms of faith and so on and so forth, we'll, if you maybe text them on to us uh, or email them on to us and texting in, and the text number is 87 or email sacredspace102 at gmail.com. But if, if you have any questions at all, um, if you want to pass them on to us and, and we'll pass them on to somebody who will be able to give us the answer, maybe get them to come on maybe and answer the question themselves. Um, and the other thing that, that, that um, I, I was just going to mention was if people have any ideas in terms of what they'd like on and so on and so forth. The reason why I say that now is because Brendan mentioned to me during the week this person who I met uh, after Newcastle West Mass, uh, he was saying that really he'd never really heard much about the large community before and was delighted to hear the programme. So if there's anything like that, please again text 087 6088 Just before we go for our, piece, uh, our, our prayer, 
um, just before our first bit of music. I just want to mention one little thing that's coming up in EWTN this week, and that's on um, Saturday night next, 9 o'clock for an hour, The Infant of Jesus of Prague, which is a documentary that tells the story, the amazing story of the devotion of the Infant Jesus of Prague. It visits towns and cities touched by the famous statue. And um, just one other one I just want to mention there. At the gates of Zion, the Christians in the Holy Land discovered the land where our Lord lived and walked and the difficult situation Christians there live through today. So that's on Wednesday next at nine o'clock for now. Discover the land where our Lord lived and walked and the difficult situation Christians there live through today. This being Pentecost, I'd like to pray this uh, Newcastle West um, Parish Vocations Prayer. Um, that they pray quite often in Newcastle West Parish here. Almighty God, you called us through baptism to, to discipleship with your Son, Jesus Christ, and you've sent us to bring good news of salvation to all peoples. We pray that those whom God is calling from our community to serve him in priesthood and religious life may respond with generosity and faith, and that they may receive support, encouragement, and spiritual nourishment for the seed of their vocation in their families and in their wider parish community. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Now we go for our first bit of music and this morning there's one uh, I like. We played it before. I like it. It's uh, Come Holy Spirit, fill this place and this one is by Cecil Winans. Let's hear this.
So welcome back again to the second part of Sacred Space in West Limit 102. Again, my name is John Keeley, uh, joined in studio here by Bishop Donald. We've got Anne Shane's on the other end of the telephone. And we've got the lady who, who, who's working for the Lord so much these days, we can't catch up with her, but it's <laughs> lovely to have you inside the studio for this little while. Good morning to you, Lorraine. How are you? Good morning, John. Good morning, listeners. I'm very well, thank you. You've got your breath back. I do indeed. Fair dues to you. Well, between uh, yourself and Shane uh, and Bishop Donald this morning, I think you're going to talk to us about conscience. Yes, we are indeed. And we're going to start with a very simple question for Bishop Donald. What is conscience? I thought you said a simple question. (laughs) 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 It's not a simple question at all. No, it isn't, of course. Um, And and part of the problem is I think that people don't really understand what conscience is. Mm Mm-hmm. Conscience is really what's deepest in me. Mm-hmm. In, in the Second Vatican Council said that when we really go into the depths of ourselves, we meet God. Mm-hmm. And we decide our own destiny. Wow. So that in a sense, every time we, we, we exercise our conscience, we're, we're responding to God. And... You know, people often talk as if it was just, uh, you know, this is my opinion and that's mm-hmm. what I'll do. It, mm-hmm. it, it requires reflection. Mm-hmm. It requires to, to tease out, if you like, what's involved in any particular decision and to tease it out in a, in a way which actually responds to the gift that God offers us. Sure. And in one sense, then, we're, we're kind of doing that all the time mm-hmm. with, with all our moral actions. Exactly. We're, yeah. Whether we're doing it consciously or unconsciously, mm. we're listening to our conscience. Yes, exactly. And, uh, you know, it's a kind of a judgment that we make having, having opened our minds and our mm-hmm. hearts to, mm-hmm. to the reality, to the other people who are affected, to the issues that are facing us and so on. Sure, because for an act to be morally good, the action mm. itself has to be good and the intention has to be good. Yes. And the exactly. circumstances have to be good. Absolutely. So you're trying to consider Absolutely. all these three things. Yes. And, uh, if, you know, if any bit of that is wrong, then the action <laughs> is actually far from perfect. It might, sure. be, might be very far from perfect if the basic choice you're making is a wrong one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I think an important thing, actually, that, 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 that we, you mentioned there is kind of the difference, I suppose, between opinion and kind of, you know, having an informed conscience and kind of being open to that, that inner voice, listening, to, making space for God. And sometimes I suppose we can be um, in a situation where, you know, where you might express um, a view that can be seen as being judgmental because it's, it's seen as being an opinion more than you know, anything else. And that can, cause, that can be challenging, I suppose, in, so, in many respects. Yeah, I think the thing about judgmental is one that we should reflect on a bit because... Um, the one thing when any discussions take place about social issues and everything, one thing people say is you mustn't be judgmental. Mm. Mm. And they often quote Pope Francis. Pope Francis is supposed to have said, who am I to judge? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Actually, that's not quite what he said. Mm. He said, if a person is gay and is doing their best and is seeking God and so on, who am I to judge that person? Mm. And I think it's a very important distinction between judging an action and judging a person. Mm. Because judging a person is something we can't do. Well, no, only God can judge a person. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. But we can judge an action. In other words, we can say, let's say, um, I don't care how sincere you are, um, that thing that you've taken belongs to me, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I want it back. Mm-hmm. You've, you've wronged me by taking it. 
So, uh, you know, it does, of course we can be judgmental about actions, <laughs> but we can, you must never be judgmental about a person. Mm-hmm. Perfect and example in the gospel, by the way, of the person who was judgmental about a person was the Pharisee. Yes. He said, thanks be to God, I'm not like that fellow at the back of the room. <laughs> and we, we often do that. There's a bit of that in all of us, isn't yes. there? We there often really make is. our judgment by comparison with somebody else. Mm-hmm. And we say, you know, maybe I'm not perfect, but I'm a heck of a lot better than that fellow mm-hmm. over there. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that's, that's fatal. I mean, that's, that's a complete distortion of what conscience is about. Mm-hmm. We've spoken about actions, I suppose, and, and judging actions. I suppose one way, one question I suppose people might ask would be, you know, when you're looking at, you're, you're in, you could be in a situation which is difficult. And I suppose the question is, can someone be compelled to do something that is against, you know, their conscience, if you like? If you've, you know, if you've discerned something, if you've prayed about something, you know, and can you still be called upon to act against what you believe in the, your innermost depth? I think it's almost impossible to justify that. Mm-hmm. But you could get somebody, and that's another thing we might come back to, but you could get somebody who has convinced himself, let's say, that he's entitled to do something or other, which in fact is a violation of somebody else's rights. Mm-hmm. So it might be that the person has to be you know, kind of forced to give up something, let's say, that he wants to keep mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. it doesn't belong to him. Mm-hmm. So I think you have to make that kind of distinction. Um, the other thing I was going to say about conscience is that conscience can be manipulated, especially by the person, him or herself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sometimes when we say we're trying to make up our conscience, what we're actually doing is looking for reasons to do the thing that we really want to do. Mm, Uh, So we can be fooling ourselves. Mm. Yeah, Yeah, I I read somewhere that the first school of conscience or or checking what conscience is, is Mm. self-criticism. That we we kind of look at what we want to do first and then go, "Hmm, where does my conscience lie with this? (laughs) And then we kind of look look to other means. Which brings us to the point about informing our conscience. Mm. Can a conscience be informed, or, or how do we go about informing a conscience? Well, I think we do the best we can. Uh, you know, if, if you're always a bit sceptical about somebody who's so sure that he's right that he doesn't have to listen anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, conscience, forming conscience is an ongoing thing. Mm-hmm. But we form our conscience maybe first of all by saying, am I judging this in a way that suits me mm-hmm. or with the group to which I belong? Am I coming to the conclusion I really want to come to? Or am I honestly looking at this? Am I looking at the kind of um, advice I should be getting? Am I looking at examining the, the thing from other people's points of view as well as mine and so on? Mm-hmm. Those are the kind of questions I think we have to ask ourselves. Mm-hmm. Is this an honest judgment? Because mm-hmm. I think it was Blessed Cardinal Newman that said... Um, to listen to one's conscience is to search for the truth. Yes. And to search for the truth really is to search for God ultimately. Exactly. exactly. I think that's absolutely true. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I think it, it, is, it is a search. Mm-hmm. And uh, if, if we're not honestly searching, then we're probably fooling ourselves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then what about the freedom of conscience? It's kind of something that's bandied around quite a lot. Yes. But what does that mean? What does freedom of conscience mean? Well, it means, first of all, I think that people should not, um, except in very circumstances, as I was saying earlier on, should not be forced to do something they believe is wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there's a lot of areas that that comes up in, I mean, where where people are pressurised by their, their boss or something, mm-hmm. or indeed where politicians are pressurised by the party whip to do something that they, they don't 
believe is right. Mm. Um, in, in the case of politicians, that's a very dangerous thing because does it actually lead people to believe that the politicians, the politicians don't necessarily behave with integrity? Mm-hmm. And I think that's part of the problem with people in politics nowadays. They, they see a kind of a system mm-hmm. according to which people have to vote a particular way. And you have to be very brave then to stand yeah, up exactly. and, and to yeah. kind of act according to one's conscience. Exactly. So I think I think we should be very careful of even of situations, certainly of situations of people being forced to do what they don't believe in. Mm-hmm. But even even people being forced to do things that they're just not happy about, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I, uh, one of the things I just I suppose that just struck me there was we, we were talking yeah. about. You know, creating a space for each individual to to to, dis- to discern how to judge an action that you know that themselves. And I suppose the question would be, you know, where can they look, if you like, to see or to seek guidance on kind of informing that conscience? You know, where where because sometimes I suppose people would say it's very much well, it's me and God. You know, that kind of a way. Or it's, it, and it's, it, it goes back to that whole point we were saying that is it my informed conscience or is it my informed opinion? And hmm. the difference between the two. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's, I think, that, you know, that actually, actually making a decision. We need to look at, one of the things perhaps nowadays is that there's a kind of a tendency not to look back at our history, mm-hmm. at what formed us, at what our traditions are. Mm-hmm. Traditions are really the wisdom of all the people that went before us and faced problems like the ones we face may be different in some ways but sometimes in some ways the same and for somebody to say I, I don't need to listen to any of that it, it's, quite, it's quite arrogant really mm-hmm. and there is a sense of that now in, in modern society I think of saying well the past is the past and we're wonderful, moving into a wonderful new future and we don't need to bother with those things at all but I think that's very foolish so I think the first thing is that we listen to our own traditions mm-hmm. our own backgrounds what we've learned from parents and grandparents and those who went before them and so on. So it, it, that's maybe where you start. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, one of, the, one of the, the traditions we belong to is the Christian tradition, the, the church. So that's, that's a place that we listen to. We also listen to people who are experts in a particular field. Mm-hmm. When there's a complicated decision to be made in economics and so on, I mean, the immediate decision that I might make might be disastrous mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because I don't really understand how finance works, and you know, on a kind of an international level. Let's say, does anybody? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, yeah, that is a fair point. Does anyone understand? It's interesting, you know. Um, I suppose when you, we talk about informing ourselves and, and, inf- and looking to the tradition, there is, I suppose, a tendency maybe to have an assumption that. Humanity is always progressing to the better. That, you know, when we look back, everything in the past is always wrong. Um, and it's always something, you know, they, they're, they're, there's nothing there of value to be learnt. But I suppose, you know, the, the other side of that is that that saying that you'd come across is a person that is ignorant of their history is bound to repeat the mistakes of the past. Precisely. You know, and it's just that we should be conscious of that in many respects, that you know, particularly when we look around and the decisions that we make in the world today, people have a tendency to ignore the church's teaching because it's cool to ignore the church at the mm, moment. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, uh, and, but at that same time, the church has a 2,000-year-old tradition, and she has considered human nature for 2,000 years, if you like, 
and has a lot to offer in some respects. Um, you know, I found it interesting during the week. I came across an interesting speech that was made in the U.S., and it was a commencement address to uni- the U- Liberty University, and it came oh, from yes. the most une- unexpected source. <laughs> um, <laughs> the person that gave it was actually Jeb Bush, and uh, he's the son of George Bush. Now, not exactly someone you would have been promoting in terms of, you know, Christian Christian view. But one of the things he was he was saying is. He was quoting Chesterton, and you know, he was saying, these are the days, as Chesterton remarked, in which Christians are expected to praise every faith but their own. And it's almost like a case of, you know, when we're talking about conscience and we're talking about discerning our conscience, that in some ways we're encouraged to look to every other, if you like, view or ideology or outlook on life and expect it to accept it as gospel, you know, and it's to kind of, in some respects, to ignore anything of value that the church might have to offer. Yeah. You see, I think one of the things the church has to offer is that it begins by asking a question that isn't asked at all in modern politics or economics. What is a human being? Mm -hmm. What is human life for? Mm And I, I think if you don't ask those questions, then, then you're, you're paddling around on the surface. You're not getting into the depth of anything. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's really important. I, I was thinking when you were talking about the assumption that everything had improved, a, a phrase that Cardinal Connolly often used to use, he said, not all improvements are for the better. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I love that quote. But conscience is, is very much tied up with dignity, about human dignity, exactly, isn't it? Exactly. And I came across a quote from St. John the Twenty Third. And he said, to do violence to people's conscience means to harm them seriously, to deal an extremely painful blow to their dignity. In a certain sense, it is worse than killing them. Like it's powerful yeah. to make people act against their conscience. I think that's, that's right. And I think that there is a sort of a thing. I mean, if you want to go back into history, there is mm-hmm. a kind of people would say that the whole Enlightenment and the French Revolution and all the rest of it began talking about liberty mm-hmm. and all that. Liberty mm-hmm. was the thing. Mm-hmm. But then they discovered that lots of people didn't really understand what they needed to do in order to be free, so they made them mm-hmm. and didn't see the contradiction. And there is a sense of that, that a kind of a, an elite that thinks it knows what everybody should be doing. Sure. Mm-hmm. Which is the opposite of democracy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's interesting, you know, when we talk about, you know, infringing on a person's conscience and, and the dignity of how that impacts on human dignity. I suppose sometimes, you know, it's in, in the society that we're in, to hold, where you have listened to your conscience and your, your gut and your instinct and your very being is telling you, well, actually, I don't agree with what, you know, someone is saying or what seems to be the general consensus. And sometimes it requires a maybe a little courage, you know, to be able to hold to that and not to give, not, not, not to give in. That's not the word I would use. Mm-hmm. But maybe to be cowed into going with the more general um, feeling of the moment, if you like. I think that's a real danger, um. Because, because democracy is really about people freely ex- exchanging ideas and mm-hmm. so on. And mm-hmm. there is a real danger that that becomes, at the very least, unpopular and maybe unprofitable. And I think that's a very dangerous thing. I think there is one distinction that needs to be made here, though. There's a distinction between forcing somebody to do something that he or she believes to be wrong. Mm-hmm. That's, that's one fairly basic right. The other is less clear-cut. And that's allowing somebody to do something that he or she feels they should be allowed to do. Mm. 
No, it's quite. It's much easier in that case to see where that could be actually conflicting with other people's interests, mm-hmm. and that it might be justified in saying, "Well, you might think that you should be allowed to do this, but you know, society doesn't think you should." Mm-hmm. Well, of course, the the thing with that, of course, is that actually, if you like, can also work both ways. While you might feel that you're in a position where you you know you you might you don't want to do something then it, it also works the other side of it as well you know the, you could you could find yourself you're in the majority if you like hmm. and th- there's a person that is, is in kind of the minority view so it, it's a balancing act sometimes between how people you know in in society how we interpret that yeah i i think it comes though it comes back to some kind of openness to really hearing where another people another person is coming from Absolutely, and I, I think we we probably don't have that kind of sensitivity to the degree that we have, mm-hmm. because unless you do that, then you're not going to be able to make a reasonable judgment about the kind of case you're talking about. Mm-hmm. If you do understand where the person is coming from, a you may be able to show them why they're they're, they're mistaken, or, or b you might react to them quite differently, from, you know, than you would if you hadn't understood where they were, what they were about. But it's, it's that whole space for dialogue and the type of dialogue sometimes that we don't seem to be able to have sometimes. You know, as um, I, I work with many people from, from different nationalities, and one person has observed to me how Ireland seems to be a place of extremes in terms of go, going from one to the other in terms of social views, and she just she just found it very interesting. And I think that's that's kind of part of it as well. We're very if you toss it down to our Celtic temperament that you know we we, we embrace a view kind of wholeheartedly one way or the other, uh, and sometimes it's it's kind of hard to see a balance a via media in kind of in how we we view things. But maybe that it again goes back to something about our, where, what, are, what are our answers to the deep questions? Mm. Now, have we got answers to them? I, think, I love the thing that Frank Shee, the Australian author, said one time about education. He said, if, if you say education is about preparing people for life. Mm. Now, he said, if you write to your Department of Education and say, please tell me, you're, you're preparing people for life. Please tell me, what is a person? Mm-hmm. And the Department of Education say, well, this is a liberal democracy and there are hundreds of different views about that. We can't say that. Oh, I says, yeah, and, and what is human life for? Mm. They say, well, same answer. Yeah. Mm. And he says, you think you can educate people and you don't know, you prepare people for life and you don't know what a person is or what life is for? Mm. And he said, he said, and the interesting thing he said was, that's extremely odd, but the really frightening thing is that we don't see how odd it is. <laughs> <laughs> And it's true. It's true because yeah. we we don't teach people how to think anymore. We That's don't right. teach philosophy. That's right. We don't teach kind of the deeper questions. We we tend to teach people how yeah. to learn stuff off yeah. or how to do formulae, but yeah. not how to think. Yeah, you see, and that is and that is the thing that you maybe maybe Celts tend to be more <laughs> more than to think. Mm-hmm. Now, emotion is very important. You know, I mean, your 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 emotion, your revulsion to something might well say to you, "I think you better think again about this." But, but on the other hand, I mean, you, you better think about it. <laughs> but there's also, I suppose, a, a, a danger as well that, you know, when sometimes people, when, when, in that, in that when you're trying to have that dialogue about what is the meaning of life or why are we here, what, what is it to be human? And sometimes, you know, that requires that we have to make, if you like, moral judgments. And but to do that, people turn around and say, "Oh, you're being judgmental. You're being, you're, you know, you're, you're being. Uh, what's what's the word I'm trying to say? You're being kind of dictatorial in many respects. To be, you know, and it's 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 
it just seems like that it's kind of a free for all at the moment for people. That you know, there, there doesn't seem to be a space or an openness or a willingness to be able to say, well, you know, maybe that is actually something as a society we shouldn't approve of. Yeah, you see, I, I think there are a number of things. One thing that was striking me when you were talking is that the, the thing about Pope Francis is that he recognizes the dignity of every human being, whatever they're doing, mm-hmm. whatever their history, whatever, the, you know, that the first thing is the dignity of each human being. And we have to learn to disagree in a way that recognizes that. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, tolerance can't mean that I have to agree with everybody else. I mean, if I agree with everybody else, I'm just incoherent. Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't mean I must agree. It means that I must respect their search for the truth. Mm-hmm. And I must treat it with, with, with reverence. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean I have to agree with them. And, and I think that there is... Sometimes in our discussions you can see that happening. There's a kind of a feeling, if you don't agree with me, you're not respecting me, you're not listening to me. That doesn't follow. Democracy works by, by those disagreements being shared and understood. and Some kind of growth can happen out of them. Some kind of wisdom can grow out of them. Mm-hmm. I, suppose one of, one of the, I suppose one of the challenges, particularly you know, when we're looking at the traditions that informs moral conscience and conscience and our own consciences and we talk about the role of faith and you know the christian and the catholic tradition is that some people will turn around and say well you know it's a bit rich for the church to be preaching about moral conscience and freedom of conscience considering you only recognize it at the second vatican council in some respects as a as an institution and i you know of course you know in many respects that's not a fair assessment but that can be one of the you know the 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 the, the attacks that's made and when you're participating in a debate and something like this. Yeah, well, I mean, in theory, anyway, I mean, I think the Church always recognised the dignity of conscience. In Thomas Aquinas yeah. says you have to act in accordance with your conscience. Mm-hmm. Um, well, you know, Cardinal Ratzinger, before we were both, wrote a very interesting article about the, you know, that we must obey our conscience. Mm-hmm. But also saying... How, as we were saying at the beginning, how that's a very com- complicated process to arrive at an, a really honest, objective judgment. Okay. Um, I think, if it's okay, John, time-wise, we might uh, move to the next um, piece of music. But before we do that, I suppose, Tamari, <coughs> just to, I suppose, round up the conversation, you know, we've, we've explored what conscience is, what it means to have an informed conscience, how conscience should be ex- constantly, you know, developed and expanded and challenged amongst in ourselves and how we need to create that space both you know individually and as a community you know to be able to dialogue with ourselves within ourselves and between ourselves so that all kind of um views should be taken into account challenged if needs be but also ultimately that when we come to make a decision that we can have the dignity to that as an individual and also, you know, that it, 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 each person can do it and participate in the community and the society that they live in. Yeah, well, I think that's true. I mean, I, I think, on, you know, unless we're open to everybody else, we're not going to come to wise decisions. Mm-hmm. But that, it's, not, it's, not, it's not easy. And I think the more we get into the kind of thing you mentioned earlier about extremes kind of, you know, yelling at one another, mm-hmm. the less that that happens. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, you, 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 you develop into a thing where almost you're, 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 it's about winning an argument rather than about seeking the truth. Exactly. And they're, you know, they're two very different things. Mm-hmm.
Uh, you find it not just in the political area. You find it even in kind of discussions in communities and so on. Mm-hmm. Somebody goes into the annual general meeting and all they want to do is get their particular way through, not to listen to what anyone else has to say. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. Mm. All right, John. I think uh, if we have, if we, if we, if we kind of leave the topic there, I think Bishop Donald has given us a lot of food for thought this morning. Perfect. As, 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 as a community, we, we face many decisions all the time, but particularly around this time. And uh, just with that, I suppose, maybe we just let people to pause and just reflect and to think about what's said. And uh, we have our, our next piece of music. Our next piece of music. And it just so happens, um, as usual, the Holy Spirit's in complete control of this program because the, the piece of music they've got lined up after speaking about conscience and so on and so forth is from the Emmanuel community, from the album Rejoice, and this one is The Lord Is My Light. So let's hear this. So welcome back again to the third part of the program, uh, Come and See Inspirations. My name is John Keeley, I'm still joined by Shane Ambrose, and we hope that uh, the reflection uh, by Donald, Bishop Donald Murray there in part two uh, gave people food for thought in terms of their duty for this Friday. This part of the program is where we read and reflect on the Word of God, and this week uh, we're going to take our, our, our reading from the first reading for Pentecost Sunday, from the Act of the Apostles. Uh, we're going to pray a prayer before reading and reflection on on Scripture uh, before we read the passage of of, uh, Scripture today. So, Shane, you might share that with us, please. Lord, we thank you for putting us in the presence of your word, which you inspired in your prophets. May we approach this word (coughs) reverently, attentively, and humbly. May we not despise this word, but receive all it has to say to us. We know that our hearts are closed, often incapable of comprehending the simplicity of your word. Send your spirit to us so that receiving the word in truth and simplicity, our lives may be transformed by it. Let us not be resistant. May your word penetrate us like a two-edged sword. May our hearts be open to it. Let not our eyes be closed nor our minds wander, but may we give ourselves entirely to this listening. 
We ask this, Father, in union with Mary, who used to recite the Psalms through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Thanks for that, Shane. So the reading for the scripture reading we're going to uh, use this morning is um, is the, for the first reading from the um, from the Mass for Pentecost Sunday, which is taken from Acts uh, chapter two, verse one to eleven, the Act of the Apostles. When Pentecost Day came around, the apostles had all met in one room. When suddenly they heard what sounded like a powerful wind from heaven, the noise of which filled the entire house in which they were sitting. And something appeared to them that seemed like tongues of fire. These separated and came to rest on the head of each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak foreign languages as the Spirit gave them the gift of speech. Now there were devout men living in Jerusalem from every nation under heaven. And at this sound they all assembled, each one bewildered to hear these men speaking in his own language. They were amazed and astonished. Surely, they said, all these men speaking are Galileans. How does it happen that each of us hears them in his own native language? We're Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Persia, Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya around Cyrene, as well as visitors from Rome, Jews and and proselytes like Cretans and Arabs, we hear them preaching in our own language about the marvels of God. The Gospel for, sorry, that's the first reading today um, from the Acts of the Apostles for Pentecost Sunday. Shane, any thoughts? Yeah, uh, as you said, John, we've taken a slight diversion this week. We're, we're not using uh, the Gospel reading. We've taken the first reading from the Mass of the Day. And, of course, we have the account from Luke about the, of the events of Pentecost and Pentecost Day. Now, Pentecost itself was a Jewish festival. Um, it was the 50th, um, which means the 50th, and it was the, the one of the three most important Jewish festivals that existed. And for the Jews, it was a festival of gratitude and a day of thanksgiving for the completion of the harvest. And um, and it was it occurred kind of seven weeks after after the Passover. And on this day, kind of the first fruits of the wheat crop were offered to God. Now, it's interesting because um, in terms of it from a Christian perspective, we have, of course, this whole thing that the, the, the apostles, the followers of Jesus, were in fear and were behind locked doors. And the whole thing about it is that the gift of the Holy Spirit, which came in this beautiful imagery of fire and wind, uh, you know, that the Spirit descended on them while they were together praying and it forced them out to share um, the, their, 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 their jubilation and the joy of the message that they had to, to share. I think for us on this Pentecost, that is the thing that we have to reflect on upon, is what does Pentecost mean for each of us in terms of our understanding of faith and what it means for us in terms of sharing that faith and the joy of that faith with each, each and every person that we meet. And, you know, one of the one of the oldest expressions, you know, you know they are Christians by their love is one of the greatest uh, messages that has come down to us from the fathers and mothers of the early church. And that is the challenge for us, because while the, the, the Acts of the Apostles talks about this whole business of people of many languages and it focuses on language and people understanding them, I suppose the key message that we need to remember is sometimes that the message, the, 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 the language the common language we have as, as Christians and as human beings is very much the language of love. 
the whole imagery, I suppose, is very important there, John, in terms of the, all of these countries that are mentioned by Luke in his account of the Pentecost. And it's that idea of bringing together once more the Tower of Babel that had fallen, you know, had caused the disbursement of the unity of humanity uh, because, again, they thought they were greater than God. And it is God, through the Spirit, bringing all people back together in through that message of love. And I suppose it's it's that interesting, you know, it's the it's the third person of the Holy Trinity, it's the Holy Spirit, and sometimes they can be the forgotten member of the Holy Trinity, if you like, uh, ignored uh, by us, or we're not quite sure what to do. Um, but it's just something for us to think about on this Pentecost Sunday. You know, the Holy Spirit is very much it's 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 that it's locked up in those beautiful images of holy wisdom. O sapiencia is what we remember during the Advent season, O wisdom, O holy wisdom. Generally, uh, the Holy Spirit is portrayed in artistic terms as the feminine part. Now, we know God has no gender, uh, as the Catechism teaches us, but sometimes you know, we have that the language that's used as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit to try and express the expression of the Blessed Trinity. And sometimes the, the, the artistic impression, the artistic portrayal of the Blessed Trinity is the, the Holy Spirit is the feminine part of that, very much in icon, icon, and icons, holy wisdom is seen as, as, as the Spirit. As well as that, of course, you have that beautiful image of the dove, the symbol of peace. The idea, going back to the Old Testament, of the, little, of the gentle breeze on the Mount of Horeb that spoke to Elijah. And that's very much where we can encounter God in our daily lives. The Spirit, each of us who have been baptized, each of us who have been confirmed, we have access to that Spirit of God which seeks to speak to us in the depths of our hearts, in that little quiet voice, in the midst of our, in the midst of our very being. And the, the, the skill and the, the test for us, I suppose, or the arts we have to develop is something which Pope Francis has spoken about again and again and again. And it is each of us learning to discern the Spirit of God in our lives and developing ways and understanding ways of how we create space and time to listen to God's Spirit moving in our lives, in our hearts, in our minds, informing our consciousness, consciousness even, and directing the decisions that we make and, and guiding us in the decisions that we should make. Okay, John? Thanks for that, Shane. Actually, just following on that, and uh, just uh, just a quick few seconds, uh, uh, um, just a comment I want to make. Uh, as Shane mentioned there about um, informed consciousness and so on and so forth, and, and decisions having to make. There's, there's, there's loads of major decisions we have to make in our life. In, in Ireland, this particular week, there's a major decision we have to make ourselves. Everybody has a free choice, uh, but as Bishop shared with us in um, in, in part two. It's, it's our duty to inform our conscience. So uh, this week we pray that the Holy Spirit will stay with us this week and guide us in, in, in decisions we, we all have to make. So I thank you again for joining us this week. That about brings us to the end of the programme. Um, next week, Shane, I think we're going to have on um, Father Eamon Conway and he's going to share with us some thoughts on the Joy of Truth, I think it is. Um, the yeah, the Joy of Truth, which is the Apostolic Exhortation published by Pope Francis. Yes, yeah, so some of us will have to actually finish reading it during the week so we can have a conversation with Father Eamon next Sunday. <laughs> that's right, that's right. In the meantime, thanks again for joining us and um, we'll go out with a beautiful piece of music again. John Michael Talbot, it being Pentecost Sunday. Come Holy Spirit. So to next week for myself and Shane. Thank you for joining us. God bless you all now. Bye. Bye. Holy Spirit, Lord of life. 
from the clear celestial height thy pure beaming radiance Guide our steps when we go 